Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. It has been so fun uh, just to see God moving in our community, in our church. Uh, We kicked off something called Growth Track last week where we just really kind of get people in a room and kind of say, how can we go from here in our faith to here in our faith? How can we kind of jump onto the mission about what the bridge is doing in St. Francis? And it's been so cool to see that room packed out. Life is just really, really good. And I can just, I want to say, I I know I just said this with Riley, but we are just truly in love with this church. We are in love with the people in this church. And we are honored beyond measure to just get to do life with you. So now that I've buttered you up, I want to say something that's going to make some of you really happy and some of you probably get up and leave. Okay, so I'm just warning you right now. What I'm about to say might make you really happy or really, really sad. Okay, from this moment right now, right in this spot, we are 70 days away from Christmas. Okay, nobody's left yet. There's like this unwritten rule where like you don't talk about Christmas, you don't like mention Christmas, you for sure don't decorate for Christmas before <laughs> giving, right? Like, like Halloween and Thanksgiving, there's always that debate. And so I'm just getting the controversy out of the way. I'm talking about Christmas uh, on October 16th, before Halloween's even come and gone, because that's just what we do. If you ask our sound man, Jacob Tupper, who's doing sound right now, his favorite thing to do to me when I was a youth pastor was every single night he was in charge of running the sound back there, he would play Christmas music every single Wednesday night. It's like April, and he's like playing Jingle Bell, Jingle. I'm like, what is happening in this place? And so Christmas is something that we talk about at the bridge, but the reason I'm mentioning it this morning and why we're seven days away from it is because I am mentally preparing myself for the onslaught of toys I will have to put together come Christmas. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old with grandparents who just love to spoil my kids, like beyond reason. Like my mom has my kids this weekend. She's got cartloads at Mills Fleet Farm Toyland. She sends us a picture going, can't wait for Christmas. It's like, thanks, you know? It's like, I'm, I'm thankful for the toys, but at the same time, like, I got to put those things together, and I'm not good at it. And so I'm, I'm one of those people who just like, and I need to know where my people are at here. If you were to open a box of a toy, of a project, of something, some of you would take the instructions out, You'd go to the inventory page. Okay, yep, I've got four screws that are in the A pack. I've got eight that are in the C pack. And you do all the inventory, and you go step by step through the instructions. Some of you, yeah. Yep. Now, where are the rest of my guys at, okay, that you're like, I don't need those dang instructions. I'm a man. I can put this together. And then you end up with like five extra screws, and you're like, Throw them over your shoulder. Where are my people at right there? Some of you, okay? See, I am the same way. When we, uh, when we got our first apartment together, my wife and I decided to go to Ikea. 
And if you ever go to Ikea to buy something, just plan three to five business days to put it together because there's like 400 million pieces for a chair. It's crazy. And so here I was, I was like, I'm the man of the house now, right? Like I'm going to put this table together, babe. Don't you worry. Go kick your feet up. Go do what you want. I'm going to put this thing together. And so I put the table together. I'm going through the instructions meticulously. I put one of the chairs together and I'm like, oh, I've got this now. I don't need the instructions hey, babe, watch this, right? Like, I, I, I'm just feeling all good about myself. I throw the instructions to the side. I get the rest of the three chairs put together, push the table in, life is good. I was like, babe, come try out the table. I pull out a chair for her. She puts it back and her spine's like this. I had installed the chair on the wrong direction. Like the concave part of the chair is supposed to like be cupping your back. I did it outside or upside down. So basically the thing was protruding from the back of the chair. And she goes, nice (laughs) like really this is this is real nice so i have learned in my 27 years of life that sometimes you don't have to assert your malehood by not following the directions sometimes the instructions just following them are actually really good to where you want to go Acts chapter 1 says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of of God. Jesus was on this planet for 33 years, three years of which he did some amazing things. He healed people. He brought them back to life, did some fantastic, awesome, amazing things. At the end of his life, he was eventually hung on the cross and died as a sinner. He took all the sin of the world upon his shoulders, the sin of the past, the sin future, the sins that you and I would commit. He took all of them upon himself, and when he got nailed to the cross, he took those sins down to death so that we could be free. It's amazing. It's why we're here today. But after three days, he came back to life, which is why we celebrate Easter and all those good things. And after those three days... He spent just a small window of time with the disciples before he really went up to heaven for good. And that's where we find ourselves in this story right now. And if you caught that, it said he gave them instructions, or he went up to heaven after giving them the instructions. And here's what the instructions were, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Spirit. Okay, these were officially Jesus' last words. These were the things that he just left with them saying, hey, I know I gave you your mission. I gave you your purpose. You have everything you need. But before you do anything else, anything at all, you need to sit here And wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. To wait is very, very difficult. If you were to ask my kids about to wait for like literally one minute, you think I'm asking them to solve a calculus problem, right? Like, Dad, I want a snack. Okay, I'll be with you in one second. I got to put one strap of the diaper back over. Dad, 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 daddy, what, bud? 
I want a snack. Oh, geez, I've forgotten the 12, 12 seconds that you were waiting for your snack. Thank you, bud, for reminding me, right? But as adults, we struggle with waiting too, right? Like, I, it's my favorite thing to do, especially if you're uh, people around my age. If we have to wait for something, like you're in a waiting room, you no longer sit in your chair that you pull out your phone and start scrolling something, right? We have a tough time waiting. Slow Wi-Fi, if we're used to fast Wi-Fi, when slow Wi-Fi comes, we want to punch a hole through something because we hate to wait. We hate that it's going slow. Some of us, present company included, if you're in a grocery store and you got a full cart, right? What are you doing? You're not looking for the first lane that's open. You're looking for the shortest one, right? Or when, you're, when there's two turn lanes, you're going to go to the one that has the least cars in it so you can cut over and cut someone off so you can get farther ahead. We hate to wait. It's, it's one of those things as humans, we hate waiting. And so for the disciples, I can only imagine Jesus telling them to wait had to have been problematic because not only did they have to wait and waiting is a tough thing for humans in general but i want us to take a moment and just realize the context of what's happening jesus is saying i want you to sit and wait in jerusalem hey jerusalem is not extapa jerusalem is not some beach on jamaica Jerusalem was the very place that just a few days prior, the whole town was in upheaval because everybody wanted to kill Jesus. So much so that we find out that the disciples, after Jesus came, before Jesus came back, they were literally hiding in a house behind locked doors because they were so petrified that the people who killed Jesus were also going to come kill his followers because they wanted to kill the whole movement. So Jesus is saying, hey, guys, just hang tight, okay? Kick up your feet. Stay in Jerusalem. I don't think so. That doesn't sound great. Jesus, you're telling us to hang tight in the war zone? You're telling us to just stay here while everybody hates us? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Why would you make us do that? Have you ever had to wait you personally in something that you don't want to be? I'm not talking about like being in a room with somebody that you don't like. I'm not talking about having to sit in a car with one of your siblings or a spouse who breaks wind, something totally different. You know what happens. Some of us do it intentionally. I'm talking about waiting in prolonged periods of stages of your life that are not enjoyable. The stages of your life where you have to wait for this job to come through. You have to wait for the uncertainty of what might come that you don't know. I'm talking about waiting in seasons in which maybe things with your family, things with your boss, things with your own personal mental health just feel like you are stuck in this situation, stuck in a hostile environment, and Jesus is telling you to just wait. Just wait. Just hang in there. Just stay in there. It's not easy. It's tough, it's difficult, and at times it can feel like a losing game. When you feel like you are surrounded by a situation, the first thing you want to do is just bolt out of there, be done with this feeling, be done with this struggle, be done with this stress, and you are stuck just having to wait it out. It's tough. All the more, the disciples, not only did they have to wait in hostile environments, not only did they have to wait in general, but they knew what they needed. 
They knew what they were called to do. In Matthew chapter 28, just before this was spoken, Jesus said, hey, I want you to go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations. Translation, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to go to every village, every corner you possibly can, and I want you to tell people about me, about what I did, about what I accomplished. That is your life mission. So they're in hostile territory. They don't like waiting, and they've got work to do. If I'm a disciple, I'm going, what are we waiting for? We got stuff to do. We got places to be. Jesus, I know you're God and all. I know you've got it all figured out. You've showed time and time again, you know exactly what you're doing. But why in the world are we waiting and just sitting here? Why are you saying, hey, hang tight? He told us in verse 5 of Acts chapter 1, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're visiting with us for the first time, or maybe you weren't here last week, let me just kind of get you caught up. We're doing a sermon series here called Stranger Things, and it has really no bearing or connection to the Netflix series Stranger Things. We just kind of ripped off the title, and hopefully we don't get copyrighted. That's kind of our whole goal here. Uh, but we, we are talking about something that is strange. Uh, I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up kind of being a part of what church culture looks like. And so the only exposure I had to this thing called the Holy Spirit was just what you would say in a prayer before you eat or something like that. It was, it was different to me. And at the same time, some of us might have grown up, to church or grown up in churches where the Holy Spirit was a point of emphasis. And so if you walk in for the first time and they're doing this thing called speaking in tongues or they're doing something that seems a little foreign or strange, it's almost like a little scary. You're like, what kind of church did I just walk into? Like it can be one of those things that just kind of feels strange. So the purpose of this series, the purpose of what we kicked off last week is to show the Holy Spirit is not meant to be something that's scary. The Holy Spirit is not supposed to be something that we just like brush off into the corner and we're done with because the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, is God. He is God in the same way that Jesus is God, in the same way that God the Father is God. I had a picture of it, or I brought up an egg last week. And I talked about if you were to break up an egg into a shell, egg yolk, and egg white, and I were to hold up one cup over the other, you'd all say, oh, that's egg. It's an egg yolk, an egg white, an egg shell. It's all egg, but it's also different. Two or three distinct things in the same way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all different. But the purpose of last week was to know who the Holy Spirit, my purpose to try and communicate today is why do we need it? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus make the disciples wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus talks about it as a gift, the gift my father promised and you heard me speak about, he says in verse 4. So breaking this down really simple, and because really we don't need to make things more complicated than they need to be. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? It says it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus just kind of breaks it down. The disciples are kind of like those people who are like, but Jesus, why? If you just let me tell you, I'll show you why. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You ever try to uh, ride a bicycle without a chain? It's really, really quite fun. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys and show you guys something that um, was a huge part of my past that I don't do anymore because uh, 
believe it or not, contrary to the woman who came in, I am not as young as I once was, okay? This was my life for about 18 years. BMX racing was something that I really, really cared about. My dad bought me a BMX bike when I was five years old and said, buddy, you're going to love this. I did it once, took second place. It was awesome. And then I saw after the race, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Some kid before me went and like crashed and like broke his arm at five years old. And I'm like, so the next day or the next week, my dad's like, hey, are you ready to go racing? Nope. So I took a one-year hiatus because I was just done with BMX racing. But then I picked it back up at seven. I did it all the way through 18. Uh, and I got to go to a few state qualifying things. I did a few nationals. Uh, I had a lot of really, really cool things. And BMX racing was a huge part of my past. But what you find out in BMX racing is that every once in a while, one of two things will happen in the middle of your race, both of which are really, really no fun. The first one is you blow a clip. So when you get better, you have these shoes that clip into the pedals, and it helps you get more traction. Your feet don't fall off. But every once in a while, when you push down at the right angle, it pops your clip out. And so while everybody else is going on and going crazy, you're sitting there trying to get your foot back in here and still catch up. Odds are you just lost the race. But the other crazier thing is every once in a while, you'll blow a chain. So you'll be pedaling so hard that you'll snap your chain off and all you can do is just pump and use your body to try and get through the rest of the track. It's hilarious to watch for one because you know that the, the kid's in trouble. But it's also one of those things where it's amazing when you just lose a chain how much you possibly lose all your power, lose all of your traction. See where I'm going with this. When you, when you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life of faith, that is your power. That is the thing that helps you really drive this life of faith. To say we have a life of faith, but don't include the Holy Spirit is like saying, I'm really good at riding my bike without a chain. There's no power. There's no oomph behind it because the Holy Spirit, as I talked about, is God living inside of us. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. If you are in this room and you've had that moment, maybe it was in a church service, maybe it was at a retreat, maybe it was in your hammock while you're watching a church service, maybe you just had whatever your story looks like, maybe you had this moment where you just felt like there was something stirring inside of you, and you're like, you know what? Like, I want to give my life to Jesus. I've, I've, had some, I've made some mistakes in my life, some things that haven't been going well, and I want to make it right with Jesus. So Jesus, I believe in you. Would you forgive me? All those good things. You say yes to Jesus being the Lord and the Savior of your life, which is amazing. And what happens that moment is yes. When you say yes, it doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter how big or how grand or how numerous your mistakes are. When you say yes to Jesus, he takes your sin as far as the east is from the west and gives you a fresh start so that when we pass from this life to the next and we come face to face with God the Father, we are going to go to heaven because we believe in him. That's amazing. But that is as amazing as that is, there's also something that when you say yes, something happens. And we see it right here in Ephesians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. 
and it marks you. It's a seal. And as verse 14 says, it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, the praise of his glory. Can I just translate this for us really, really easy? When you say yes to Jesus, you now can have the assurance that when you die, you will spend eternity with him in heaven. But in that very same moment, you now have God himself living inside of you to help you make the right decisions, to help you live the things you're supposed to live, to help you give the knowledge for the things that you need. No matter what comes your way, when you say yes to Jesus, you now have an advocate. You now have God himself inside of you, helping you lead you, guide you, direct you, equip you for what's going on. It's why we don't see Jesus starting his ministry until he had the Holy Spirit inside of him. I mentioned that last week. For 30 years, Jesus was just learning and equipping and doing all of this stuff, but it wasn't until he got the Holy Spirit that he actually started doing his ministry. And to me, that is powerful because the Holy Spirit is not an accessory to our faith. The Holy Spirit is not just an add-on that you can choose to have in your life or not choose. As soon as you say yes, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And believe it or not, the Holy Spirit is not a Boy Scout badge saying, huh, I got the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I'm spiritually mature. It's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power behind what we do. And we see this in Acts chapter 10. Jesus needed himself. Acts chapter 10, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit gave him the power to open the eyes of the blind. The Holy Spirit gave him the power to raise somebody from the dead. The Holy Spirit was the secret sauce that Jesus needed to go and do his ministry. The Holy Spirit was something that he couldn't possibly live and do without. So why do we think that we can Why do we think that the Holy Spirit is just something that we can just kind of push in the corner? Because the reality is when we are sitting alone in our bed at night and we are stressed out because the kids that we love and care about so much are falling away from their faith and we're just praying and asking God, would you please bring them back? When we're sitting in that hospital room and it feels like we're facing a miracle, the doctors come out one after another saying, I don't know how this is going to work. We just got to prepare you. And you're sitting here going, God, whatever it is, would you heal them? Would you help them? When you are sitting there at work and you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders and you're saying, God, I need you, what happens after that is the work of the Holy Spirit? For some of you, it might be all of a sudden now, you, have, you just have a glimmer, just a little tiny breathing room of peace that goes, okay, God's got this the Holy Spirit inside of you. Sometimes you'll be stressing out and all of a sudden uh, you'll remember something a pastor said. You remember a Bible verse that just really gives you comfort that comes out of nowhere. It's amazing. That is the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Every once in a while, you'll be walking down the same street, the same place, on the same place to work every single day, and you'll notice somebody out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, like you can't even explain it, there's just 
you just notice this person. It's the Holy Spirit alerting you to this person for a reason. It might mean you just pray for them and keep on walking. It might mean you go and do something for them. I don't know what that looks like, but here's what I do know is that the Holy Spirit, as strange as it can feel sometimes, is our direct lifeline to God. And without him, we can't live this life of faith. It's powerful. We need the Holy Spirit. He is the power in the same way. You can ride a bike without a chain, but you're not nearly as effective unless you have that chain. The Holy Spirit is not meant to be something that scares you. You know my favorite part about the whole miracle of Jesus walking on the water? If you're not familiar with this, the disciples are rowing the boat across the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm coming with 10-foot rollers. Like, Malax has nothing on the Sea of Galilee, okay? It's crazy. But the Sea of Galilee is roaring, and they're in this little wooden boat, and the disciples see this creature walking on the water, and they're freaking out. They go, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. They're scared because they don't understand it. It's too big for them. And Jesus comes in and speaks the comforting words saying, hey, hey, don't be afraid. It's just me, Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is something that scares you, it's not the work of God. Because the Holy Spirit is meant to be something that challenges you and stretches you 100%. But the Holy Spirit is not supposed to be something that scares you or intimidates you or keeps you away. Because the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the thing that is really just makes you feel alive in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is integral. And so here they are, the disciples, going back to the instructions. Let me bring this back full circle, tie a bow on this, and let's get out of here, okay? Jesus says, wait. So they wait. They wait. They go to this upper room in Jerusalem, and they're praying, and they're asking, God, would you just be with us? And they're waiting and waiting. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're just waiting. And all of a sudden, we see this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit didn't come on to them or wasn't, let me explain it this way. The Holy Spirit was something they already possessed. Ephesians chapter 1 says that. When they said yes to following Jesus, they already had the Holy Spirit. So what was this whole thing? This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is where they became aware of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Here's what I'll tell you this morning, church. You don't have to beg and plead for the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life. Because if you say yes to Jesus, he's already there. Your job is to say, Jesus, make me aware of your spirit. Jesus, make me aware of what's going on. I got to tell you, when you say that, when you do that, the whole landscape changes. Because there are times I'm driving in my truck thinking about my fantasy football team and all of a sudden this person that I haven't seen in four weeks comes to my brain instantly. And to me, that's not just a coincidence. That's not just something I can just, oh, yeah, I thought about that person. To me, that's the Holy Spirit's way of saying, hey, they're going through something, pray for them. And I do. And do you know what's really, really crazy? All of a sudden, almost within days, I see that person somewhere random. Hey, I'm thinking of you. I see you oh my gosh, you don't believe it. I've been going through so much stuff right now. How would you know I need a prayer? I didn't, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit did. 
the Holy Spirit did. Because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. I talked about it last week. Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the entire landscape of the earth, which means the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all of the time, which means the Holy Spirit, hey, guess what? Even if you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, even if you don't believe in God, he believes in you. And so he knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in your distinct individual life. And so all of a sudden, when he knows you and he knows what's going on, the same Holy Spirit that knows you is the same Holy Spirit that lives in me, which means that Holy Spirit cares about you enough to tell somebody like me to pray for you, even if you don't believe in it. So when I'm praying for you and when you're going through a nasty divorce, when you're going through something that's really scary, when you're going through a mental landscape that's really, really toxic and scary and dark, To know someone is praying for you is not a mark on the pastor. It's a mark on the Holy Spirit who sees you and knows you and understands you. That Holy Spirit is living inside of you all of the time. And so my job, the thing that I really felt God stirring on my heart is to, as a church, to make us aware of that, to make us aware that the Holy Spirit sees you and he wants to be an active, living part of your life. My favorite, favorite favorite part of Peter. If you know Peter in the Bible, Peter was the guy who always had his foot in his mouth. He was always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, saying the craziest, weirdest things. And Peter, I talk about this off, I talk about it at Easter, Peter was the guy who's saying, Jesus, I don't care what comes your way. I don't care if the, if, if the whole army comes, I will defend you, man. I got you. But when push came to shove and the whole army came, Peter was like a scaredy cat, okay? He just like shrunk into himself. A little girl comes up to him and goes, aren't you a Jesus? No. And he he screams at this little girl. Another little girl does the same thing and he like goes after her. And then a third person comes after him and he like curses the guy out and says, I don't know the man. Peter, his heart said, yes, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to stand behind it. But he at his core was a scaredy cat. Yet in Acts chapter 2, he is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is surrounded by the Holy Spirit. He is so aware that the Holy Spirit is in his life that it changes him to such a capacity that he gets up after he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets up and he preaches to a group of thousands of people in Acts chapter 4. The people who killed Jesus heard that Peter and John were still preaching about Jesus. So they brought them before trial and say, by what authority are you doing this? We're going to throw you in jail. We're going to beat you. We're going to whip you unless you stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter looks at him and it says in Acts chapter 4, filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he says, I don't, you can say what you want, but God is with us. And we don't care what you have to say. We're going to keep on preaching because Jesus has given us the authority to What changed? The Holy Spirit aware and awake in him is what changed. He went from a courageous, I'm sorry, he went from a scaredy cat, just little wimp basically, to this courageous, bold follower of Jesus where I don't care what you throw at me, I will not stop talking. The only thing that changed, it's not that he went to Bible school. It's not that he all of a sudden just felt like he was more important. The only noticeable change from point A to point B was he was filled with the Holy Spirit. My prayer, church, 
however you're long here at the bridge, whether this is your first time and your last time, I really hope not because I would love for you to keep on coming back. But however long you are here at the bridge, here's my prayer. Here's our mission at the bridge for you to come alive in Christ. That means that you say yes to him. That whatever is keeping you from saying yes, you would have that thought. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. It's okay to go, I don't know how I believe or why I believe in this. But my prayer is that you experience a real living God in your life. And you understand that it doesn't matter what sin you did, no matter how bad, no matter how ugly, no matter how far you've been running for him for this long, it doesn't matter. Because he just wants you. That's all, that he, that's all that he cares about. My prayer is that you get to experience that, but my, my bigger prayer is that you get to have this life-altering, continual experience with the living God. My prayer, church, is that when you come to the bridge, when you look back on the history of your time here at the bridge, you go, I've never felt closer, I've never felt God more sincere, and I've never felt God work through me more than when I was a part of the bridge church. And why is that? Not because of the pastor, not because of the volunteer team, not because of the cool fancy lights, but because they place an emphasis on letting the Holy Spirit work in me and through me. And that Holy Spirit alive in me allow me to be a bold, bold person. So that when you walk out this door and you go back into your life, you go back into your circumstances, it's not a matter of your situation change. It's a matter of you understand the living, strong God who raised Jesus from the dead, who raised Lazarus from the dead, who opened the eyes of the blind, is the same exact spirit who lives inside of you to face the day, to face the miracle, to face the stuff you're facing. That same spirit is inside of you as well when you say yes. So my prayer here at the bridge is that you get to have that Holy Spirit, that you get to experience that Holy Spirit. I'm not going to make it weird. I'm not going to say you have to do this or do that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. No, because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. All you have to do Say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come alive in me and wait. Wait. Take a moment, pause, and breathe. And let the Holy Spirit just drop things onto you. So here's what I'm going to say. Next week, I'm going to finish up this series. I'm going to talk about how, because I'm a how guy, okay? That sounds great, but how do I do it? We'll talk about that next week. What? What does the Holy Spirit in our life look like? It's going to be really, really cool as we wrap up this series. But today, I got two questions for you. The first one is, have you said that initial yes? Because we can't experience the Holy Spirit if he doesn't live inside of us. He doesn't live inside of us unless we say, yes, God, I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I know you paid my debt on that cross. I want you. That's step number one, which can be a really, really tough thing for some of us. But I promise you, when you do it, something will change. Not your circumstance, maybe not even your doubts at first, but there will just be a different power behind you that you'll sense and you'll know. But the second thing I want to ask you is, are you willing to let the Holy Spirit lead you? Because if you look, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it sent him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit will move on your behalf and he might push you out of your comfort zone a little bit but it'll be worth it 
to be worthwhile. So are you willing to do that? And if you do, I promise you, what's on the other side is worth waiting for. Just like the disciples were waiting, it was worth waiting for. Will you close your eyes, bow your heads? Why we do this at the bridge, why we close our eyes, why we bow our heads is because the moments we have in this place are between you and God. We don't want you to have to feel like you're like someone around you is looking at you or this is an intimate moment between you and the Lord. And so I think there might be people in this room who maybe have had doubts for a long time. Maybe you felt like, you know what, I want to believe in Jesus, but I'm just not ready there yet. But you, it makes you feel like you have to clean up your life and have to do all these right things to say yes to Jesus. You're like, I don't know if I can do that yet. It's not a matter of being right for Jesus. It's a matter of saying, you know what, I know I'm broken, but you love me anyway. So if that's you in this place, there's no one looking around. I just want to pray with you personally. So if that's you, you want to make things right with God. Maybe you used to believe in Jesus, but you don't anymore. Maybe you're like, I've never believed in him, but I kind of want to. If that's you in this place, with no one looking around, no one looking over their shoulder, is there anyone in there that I can pray with specifically? That you would say, I want Jesus in my life personally. I see it. I see it. Take your, put, you put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray with you in a second, but I think there are other people in this room. My hand's going to be up for this one, but you just go, you know what? I want the Holy Spirit alive and active in my life. As a way of surrendering, metaphorically, would you just say, yes, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I want you to move my life. If that's you, just raise your hand if you want the Holy Spirit alive and active in your life. Oh, my hands are all up over all the place, God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that you hung on the cross and you gave your life for us. God, for the hands in this room that are saying, yes, I want to make right with you, I pray, God, they would experience you in a whole new way this week. God, as they say yes to you, may you show them that you love them, you care for them, and there's no sin that could possibly detract away from what they're doing in their life, Jesus. But God, for the rest of us in this room who just want to say yes, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to lead, Holy Spirit, we want you alive and active in our life. Jesus, may you just come alive. Holy Spirit, would you just be active in our life this week, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. Move on our behalf. Show us the people you want us to reach. Give us the strength to face the things we're going to have to face. Holy Spirit, we need you. Be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.